Well, as if you've been hearing all morning long, our theme this morning is unity. And our goal, our purpose, our prayer this morning is that when you leave this place, you will be more united with each other, more united in your families. And we don't want to be united just to be united. We want to be united so we can accomplish God's purpose and God's plan. So how many of you are in favor this morning of, in about half an hour when we leave this place, how many of you are in favor of being more united as a church? How many of you are in agreement with me? Who wants to be more united in your homes? Who wants to be more united in your family, in your marriages, in your relationships? How about your workplace? How many of you believe that unity is important? And in this message, I want to show you through Scripture why unity is important. And I'm going to be going over three, three points, three areas, three ways in which you can gauge and see if you truly are united in your home, if, you, if you're united in your relationships, if we are united as a church and united in our community. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to have a Scripture reading, and we're going to be in John chapter 17. If you look in your handouts, we have the scriptures already for you in the insert. We're going to be in John 17, starting at verse 20. And uh, before we read the scripture, I want to I want to share with you how this burden or how this this passion for unity came about at the beginning of this year. Uh, January 1 rolled by. I felt compelled as a parent. I felt compelled as a dad that this is the year that I wanted to go over the Easter story with my daughter, Rachel, who's seven years old. And you must understand, when you're a parent and you have little children, you teach them about Jesus Christ. You teach them how Jesus loved children. You teach them how Jesus took care of the poor and healed the sick. And many times, when you're dealing with a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old, as a parent, you're not totally ready to tell them the story of Easter. Because the story of Easter is the story of Christ's death and resurrection. So at the beginning of this year, I said, you know what? I'm going to go to a Christian bookstore, and I'm going to find the best children's book on Easter. So I went to the Christian bookstore. I found this awesome um, children's book on Easter. I brought it to my church office here, and I started reading through it. I wanted to read through it and make sure that the cross was in there. I don't know if you've noticed, but many times in our society today, when we have the Easter story, many times they leave Jesus Christ out of the Easter story, believe it or not. And many times when we talk about the Easter story, we talk about the resurrection of Christ, but sometimes we leave out the death of Christ and the the pain that that, uh, that he experienced on the cross. So as I was reading through this children's book, getting ready to share this with my daughter... It's, it's, so, it's so interesting how God speaks to you in, in such simple ways through a children's book. And in this children's book that talked about Christ's death, it also included the section of John 17, where Jesus Christ prayed to his Father. And the prayer that he prayed is right here in John 17, verse 20. And I want to share with you what I read and what an impression it gave on me. And it just gave me this passion and burden to preach on unity. And to get unity out there. So let's begin reading. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So let's pray now before we get into the message. Your Heavenly Father God, we realize this morning that just because we are under the same roof doesn't mean we're united. Just because we live under the same roof with our family doesn't mean we're united. Just because we sleep in the same bed with our spouse doesn't mean we're united. Father God, unity is precious. Unity is powerful. If we are united, there is nothing we can't accomplish And Father God, we need unity this morning to accomplish and achieve your purpose, your desire, and your will in our community and in our world today. And Father God, my prayer is as we leave this place, through what we're going to be talking about, through experiencing communion, Father God, that we would leave more united to do your will, to accomplish your dreams your goals, and your purpose in this world today. And this is my prayer now, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, unity is important. We can achieve unity through community. But first, let me tell you, what is going to be the biggest obstacle that you're going to face in your life to achieve unity in your family, in your marriages, in your home, and in your church? What's going to be the biggest obstacle you're going to face to achieve unity? Somebody's already thinking, well, self. Well, well, well me. My, my egotism. My own selfishness. And not only that, I think even a bigger obstacle that we're facing in our world today is what's going on in our society and what's going on in our culture. In America today, we live in a country today where we value individualism over unity. We live in a society today where we teach our children to be self-sufficient and self-dependent. That is more important than being united. This is what we're teaching our children. This is what we're teaching junior high, high school, college age. This is what it is to be American. This is what we teach. So we're not teaching unity. And one of the best examples of unity is Jesus Christ and how united He is with His Father. So let's go back to John 17. Let's go back to this very intimate time that Jesus Christ had with His Heavenly Father in Heaven. If you can picture this in your mind, okay? Jesus was praying to His Father in Heaven. He was praying for you and He was praying for me. And this was His prayer. His prayer was... Father God, my prayer is that my disciples, that's you and me. Now, does this include the Baptists? Does this include the Methodists? Does this include the Catholics? Does this include the Pentecostals? Jesus Christ was praying to his Father. I pray that my disciples will be united would be as one as you and I are one. Now, doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, let's talk a little bit about the Trinity. Okay, the, the Trinity is something that you can't explain. Okay, 
we cannot bring in a professor from Fuller to give us a two-hour lecture on the Trinity, and we're going to walk out of here and say, oh, yeah, I completely understand it. You know, we got a professor from Fuller come here and teach us what the Trinity is. Okay, the Trinity is something that we cannot comprehend with our finite minds. The Trinity is something infinite. It is something extraordinary, something supernatural. So Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one, people have died because of this doctrine. People have died, have given their lives for this belief system. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are united. They're together. They're in agreement about everything. And Jesus' prayer was that you and I would be united as He and the Father are united. And as I was reading this, as I said at the beginning of the year, to prepare to tell my, my, my daughter the Easter story, and I, and, and I read John 17, and I remember that day I was driving my car through Pasadena on Colorado Boulevard, and there's all these impressive churches on Colorado Boulevard, you know, the big Baptist church, the big Methodist church, the big Episcopalian church. And I just felt in my heart that day that God was grieving. I felt that day that God was shedding tears. Because if you look at this world, do you see the Christian community united or divided? And I realized, oh my God, forgive me, forgive us. Because we have divided ourselves through denominationalism. Well, you're a Methodist, you belong over there. You're a Baptist, you belong over there. You're a Pentecostal, you're a Charismatic, you belong over there. You need to meet in that high school. We won't even give you a real church. And I even realized, what are we as Christians across the world... Are we making it easier for the unchristians, for the unsaved, for the lost people to come to Christ? My wife works at Western Youth Services in Anaheim, California. She works with a lot of therapists, a lot of psychologists. Most of them are unbelievers. Most of them were, were never raised in church. And she tells me, Eddie, you, you can't even believe how many of these, these single people come to me and they don't know anything about church. She said, Eddie, they're even confused about church. She says, Eddie, they think we're so silly because we're so divided with the Baptist and the Methodist and, uh, and the Episcopalian and the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the Catholics. They think we're nuts, Eddie. I said, of course they think we're nuts. They're a bunch of therapists. They think everybody's nuts. They look in the mirror, they think they're nuts. But guess what, folks? Things are changing. Things are changing. We are living in a post-denominational era. There's a lot of people here this morning that weren't raised Baptist. If you weren't raised Baptist and you're here this morning, raise your hand. Right? That's what I'm seeing. That's the phenomenon that I'm seeing. You know, the X generation, the Y generation, the high school, the junior high generation. They're not worried about the Baptist and the Methodist and the Episcopalian and the Lutheran. They're worried about what's going on in the heart. They're worried about relationships and connecting. They're more concerned about the truth of Christ and not the trappings of denominationalism. So, enough with that. That's not what the message is about, but I wanted to lay that out there because I think it's heavy stuff. 
So I want to get into three three things. Three things here. Okay, We have the fill-ins here in our inserts. Jesus is talking about being united with His Father. I want them to be united as we are. How was Jesus and His Father united? Let's talk about that. How did Jesus demonstrate in His life, in His daily life, that He was united with the Father God and the Holy Spirit? Okay, that's how we're going to lay out this message. And every time we have a fill-in, every time we have a point, there's going to be a point of application. There's going to be a point of application. Is this concept or this truth that we're going to fill in here, does it also apply to your life? Are you united with your spouse? Are you united with your kids? Are you united in your family? Are we united as a church? Are we united as a community? So the first fill-in is unity through alignment. Unity through alignment. Not front-end alignment that you get at Pep Boys. But there's a truth there that we may talk about. But let's read the scripture. John 4, verse 31. Unity through alignment. Jesus was united with His Heavenly Father because He was in alignment with His Heavenly Father. John 4, 31. Meanwhile, His disciples urged Him, Rabbi, eat something. But He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then His disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought Him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Okay, I want you to grasp this text. This is happening in John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, Jesus Christ has this incredible counter with a woman. Which woman was it? John chapter 4, the what woman? The Samaritan woman. Remember? He went, he goes to the well, he's, he's thirsty and he's hungry. And he sends off his disciples to, to get some food. And while he's at the well, he's talking to the woman, right? He's leading her to himself, he's leading her to Christ, right? He's talking to her, he's busy ministering to her, even though he's tired and he's hungry and he's thirsty. Now when you're tired, you're hungry and thirsty, are you uh, available to minister to other people? Many times, no, right? Because we're tired, we're run down, we're burnt out. So he's in the middle of having this conversation with the Samaritan woman. He's leading her to God. And then the disciples show up all of the time. And they, they see Jesus as glowing. They, they, they see him uh, energized. He, he doesn't have that tired look on his face. It's because he was doing ministry. And his disciples say to each other, well, maybe somebody brought him something to eat. Maybe he ate some bread. He ate some food. And Jesus said to them, my food? You want to know what my food is? Jesus Christ said, my food is to do the will of my Father. Now, if that's not alignment, tell me what is. Jesus Christ, since he was a little boy, 12, 13 years old, his will and the Father's will was aligned. His parents came to the temple and they found him teaching the teachers. And he said, don't you know that I am about my Father's business? Don't you know that my will and the Father's will is one? Jesus Christ had the same will as His Heavenly Father in Heaven. That is alignment. 
And when a people group, a family, a marriage, a community, a church, when everybody's will is the same will, what can we accomplish? What can we accomplish, folks? Great things for God. Imagine if everyone in your house, that everyone's will was in complete alignment and the will in your home was as one. Imagine the things you could get accomplished in your house. Think about that. And many times, what is actually going on in the typical American home? Right? We have one teenager up in his room with the headphones on, right? We got the teenage girl on the computer on Internet. She's on MySpace, right? We got the dad... Right, who's connected it to the TV, and maybe you have a mom that's in the kitchen preparing dinner. So usually in a typical American home, you don't have one will. How many different wills do you have in that home? Usually as many as people as you have in that home. And then you come to a church. Let's take a church, for example. You come into a church like this on Sunday morning. Do we all have the same will? Many times in our churches we have people, well, we have different opinions here, right? We have different preferences here. You know, we believe that God's will for our church is uh, to reach uh, the unchurched. Well, we believe that the way we're going to reach the world is by singing more hymns. That's, that's God's will. And well, we believe that God's will for our church is that we need to be more Bible-believing and Bible-preaching. And on and on and on and on. Three different wills, five different wills, ten different wills, twelve different wills. We are literally divided in our opinions, our preferences, our desires, our motivations, our goals, and our wills. And what Jesus Christ had to do throughout His life, throughout His earthly ministry, is He had to lay down His will. He had to surrender His will to the Father. So their will could be one. But there are some stubborn people here today, right? We're rebellious by nature, right? When I was a teenager, I didn't want to surrender my will to anyone, right? We live in a society today where young people and children and teenagers don't want to surrender their will to their parents. We have married people that don't want to live in a mutual submission type of relationship. And if we can bring our will into alignment, we can accomplish great things for God. Are we willing to bring our wills into alignment this morning? Can we have the same thought, the same will, the same desire, the same motivation to win the loss for Christ no matter what the cost? Amen? It's okay to say amen this morning. Some people are going like this and some people are saying this. Some people think, no, Pastor Eddie, that's too hard. That's too hard. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The day of Pentecost, when the church of Jesus Christ was born, what does the Bible say in Acts? The Bible says they were all in one. And they weren't talking about a Honda Accord. The Bible says that the church was born on the day of Pentecost, when they were all in unity, of one mind, of one purpose, of one desire, of one goal. That's what we're talking about. That's alignment. How are we excited about alignment? Let's give the Lord praise this morning about alignment. Come on, let's give the Lord praise about alignment. Let's say to the Lord, give us alignment. 
Say to the Lord, give me alignment in my home today. Say that to the Lord. Say it to the Lord. Give me alignment in my home today. Let me hear you. Give me alignment in my home today. Say, give me alignment in my marriage today. Say, give us alignment in our church today. Amen. See, we were in alignment saying alignment. All right. Excellent. Our second point. Let's read the text. Mark 6, 44. This is right after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately. Everyone say immediately. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. Our second feeling is unity through focus. Why don't you fill that in? Unity through focus. See, Jesus was the kind of man that his will was in perfect unity with the Father's will. We already talked about that. Wife, talking to the wives. Wives, is your will aligned perfectly with your husband's will? Okay? I'm talking to the children. If you're 17, 18 and below, is your will in alignment with your parents' will? I'm talking to the members of First Baptist Church of Pasadena. Is your will in alignment with the pastor's will and the other church members' will? Okay, this is key. Jesus' will was perfectly aligned with his Father's will. But secondly, Jesus was a focused man. If there ever was a man that lived on planet Earth that was focused on his mission, his goal, and his purpose, that was Jesus Christ. He was a great man of focus. And we never talk about Christ in those terms. You know, we talk about other great men in history, inventors and scientists and generals, how focused they were. No, Jesus Christ was a great man to focus. In other words, he was so focused on his mission, on his purpose, that he could not be led astray. Even when he was in the desert for 40 days and he was tempted, he was not led astray. And there's something about men. You know, we as guys... Don't we get disfocused all the time? I think I just invented a word. But many times we as men, you know, we're just driving along and we see something and we just start, you know, going after it, right? We see something shiny. We're like little kids. Men are very visual. But Jesus Christ was focused. He was so focused, in fact, look at this story. Look at the narrative here. He he had just finished performing one of the greatest miracles, feeding over 5,000 people. He had finished preaching and teaching for several hours. And maybe he could have stayed around to sign autographs. Or maybe he could have stayed around to sign his latest book that he had written. Or maybe he could have said, you know what, I'm going to go back to the hotel room and I'm going to crash, disciples. I'm really tired. I need some spa treatment. No, Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus told the disciples, you guys get in the boat and get out of my way. Go. Don't bother me. I'll dismiss the crowds. Because many times in the New Testament and the Gospels we read that Jesus Christ was able to kind of like supernaturally just kind of like disappear. 
If Jesus Christ was here like he was in those days, in one moment, in one instance, he could be right here in the middle teaching us. He says something. We're kind of distracted. Hmm. We look back, he's gone. Okay, that was Jesus Christ. So he sent his disciples off. He dismisses the crowd. And what does Jesus do? What does he do? What does the Bible say? He goes to pray because he is so focused. He didn't want to get swept away by all the fame, by all the attention, by all the pats in the back. He didn't want to get swept away through all the notoriety and all the fame. No. He says, I'm not here to be famous. Jesus Christ, He wasn't even here to do those miracles. Right? He wasn't even here to... to his main purpose wasn't to be a, a seminary professor with His disciples. His main purpose that He was here was to fulfill His Father's purpose, His business, His goals, His desire. And Jesus was a focused man. And that's why whatever situation He confronted, He would always go to prayer. If you read through the Gospels, after every major event in Jesus' life, He would always take the time to pray and to focus and to meditate on His Father. So here's the question. Do you have that kind of focus in your life? Think about your life. Think about the calling on your life. Think about your marriage. Think about your family. You know, many people will say, you know what, Pastor Eddie? We are the typical American family. We are all going in different directions. I don't know if I should say this or not, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. We have a young generation right now with low self-esteem. We've got a lot of young people right now going through the school systems that were raised in single-parent homes like I was with low self-esteem. And a result of that low self-esteem, we have a lot of overachievers. The more degrees I get, the more medals I get, the more recognition I get, then people will love me. You hearing that? The more people will love me. And they lose focus. And if we can be focused, God, your love, that's what matters. You can find that focus in your life. Which leads us to our final point. Unity through affirmation. Unity through affirmation. Jesus Christ and His Heavenly Father had unity because His Father in Heaven affirmed Jesus and loved Jesus and complimented His Son. If you look in Mark chapter 1 at verse 10, when Jesus Christ was baptized by John the Baptist, what does Scripture say? As Jesus was coming up out of the water, before He had even begun His earthly ministry, He saw heaven begin torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Unity through affirmation. Unity through affirmation. Unity through affirmation. And one of the things that can seal the deal when it comes to unity, or one of the things can, that can destroy unity, is lack of affirmation. When there isn't affirmation and love and appreciation 
and true affection and caring, you can't have unity. Affirmation, love, compliments, caring, genuine affection is the glue that holds unity together. And too many times we get too busy, we get too self-absorbed with our things and what we want to do that we forget, and I'm guilty of this, we forget to affirm and love and appreciate the people around us, the people around me. And sometimes I forget to affirm my wife as much as I should. Man, I have my wife well-trained. If she was up here, she said the same thing. I have Eddie well-trained. But every morning, this wonderful gal that I married 15 years ago, she brings me an incredible, awesome cup of coffee. And there are times when Eddie is so self-absorbed that I forget to thank her. I forget to appreciate her. I think that is just, huh, that's something she should do. No, I'm wrong. And sometimes we forget to affirm our children. Our children have chores even, to set the table, to take out the trash. Affirmation is so important in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships. And affirmation is important in our churches. We need to affirm each other more and genuinely demonstrate affection and care and forgiveness and patience with each other. Affirmation is so important. This is how Jesus Christ's ministry began. Before He began His ministry, before He healed one person, before He preached one sermon, before He faced the cross and death and suffering, what did His Father God in heaven tell Jesus Christ? Son, I love you, son. I'm proud of you, son. You're a good son. But dad, I haven't done anything. I haven't died yet, dad. Son, I love you. I love you. And I am pleased with you. And it's through that kind of affirmation that God can give us unity this morning like never before to accomplish His goal and His purpose in this world to bring the lost to Him at any cost, even if it means your life, your discomfort, and your pain. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, my prayer this morning is that You would bring healing to our homes, to our marriages, to our families, to our church. Father God, I am guilty. I am a sinner, Lord God. I am a selfish person. And many times my will is not in alignment with your will. My will is not in alignment with my family's will. And my focus, what focus? There's so much going on in the world today. There's so much eye candy. There's so many distractions, so many obligations. We've, we've lost focus. I've lost focus. And Father God, sometimes we get so self-absorbed with ourselves that we forget to affirm others, our own spouse, our own children, other believers that we partner with in ministry. Father God, I pray that beginning today that we would demonstrate more affirmation and that we would come into more focus on what it's all about And that our will, that our will, Lord God, will be aligned with yours. So, Father God, bring that healing, bring that unity, bring that forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. We give you the glory and the praise.